Hi, and welcome to the Sexy Aging Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Monoknuku. This podcast covers conversations with experts, journalists, writers, entrepreneurs, doctors, and kick-ass humans making the most of their midlife. We talk about menopause a lot. My personal messed up menopause journey was the catalyst to this podcast, and so I hope I can help you navigate your way through midlife and menopause with more information and education than I had. Since launching the podcast, I've written a book, My Menopause Memoir, available on Amazon, an online course for menopause management to help you navigate your menopause journey, and a fitness and wellness app for the menopause woman. There are gym-based and home-based strength training sessions, short hit workouts, yoga for stress and sleep, as well as specific mobility, balance, agility, and core training sessions. You'll also receive a daily menopause management tip and be able to start a conversation with me, all in the app. You can find all of these tools at the Sexy Aging website. All the links are in the show notes, including discounts to the course, free sign up to the app, and discounts to products that I endorse. Kicking off the podcast for 2023, and I had the pleasure of interviewing 80-year-old Sue Salinger, author of the book, Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. First of all, I want to say that speaking with Sue was inspiring for me on so many levels. I've often said to myself, actually I tell everyone, you're not too old and it's not too late. And so this interview with Sue, who wrote her first book at 80, is testament to that. Having your doctor believe you when you report your symptoms is essential. It's frustrating and heartbreaking when I read or hear of women who've been belittled by their doctor. This is common for women in the menopause life stage when trying to figure out their symptoms, trying to access education and support and being told it's a life stage and you just need to suck it up. No, just no. And that's where this conversation with Sue is enlightening. Sue has inspired me to continue on my path with radical responsibility, taking charge of my health for longevity. This podcast has always been about health and healthy aging and Sue's message has solidified that for me. Enjoy. Well, it's an honor today to welcome Sue Salinger from the US to the Sexy Aging Podcast. Sue is the author of the book, Sidelined, How Women Manage and Mismanage Their Health. And this is a topic that I'm really, really interested to hear about because with menopause and a lot of women trying to access um, great health care and medical support and other support are really, really struggling to help with their menopause transition. This is a topic I'm quite interested to hear from from you. Um, so Sue, tell us about yourself and how you've come to write about this particular topic. Well, it was a bit of a journey. Well, I'm 80 years old now, and I just published my first book, and I'm very excited about that. But many, many, many years ago, I had some exploratory surgery that I was positive I didn't need, but I had changed medication and experienced just some common side effects. And doctor ran a bunch of tests, and he said, you know, I don't know what's going on. We should do exploratory surgery. And I said, I'm sure it's the new medication. And he said, no, it, it isn't. You know, when we went back and forth, they did the surgery, they found nothing. And of course, I went back on the old medication and I was absolutely right. The symptoms stopped and that was that. 
I was really angry at myself and really ashamed that I had acquiesced and that I agreed. In fact, I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. But in any event, for, I worked with my husband. We ran our own business for many years. And then when I retired, that was not a good idea for me. I have too much energy. I was driving everybody in my family crazy. So that was really bad. Um, so I went back to school and started taking some anthropology classes. And in those classes, I learned a lot about women and women's health, women in medicine, women and doctors. And I thought this is information that women need to know, that women really need to hear about some of these things. And I just thought to myself, how do women make medical decisions? Why, why do we get ourselves into these situations? So I interviewed 40, 50 women and extrapolated some common behaviors that they all shared, that we all shared, regardless of their particular disease. So that's kind of a, a making a, a long story as short as I can about you know how I got into it. Yeah, I've actually got a lot of questions around this topic. So talking specifically about how you researched for the book, what were some of the common themes that came up from the woman? Well, what was really interesting was first of all, as women, at least in the United States, I don't know if that's true universally, but we put ourselves last. There was actually a study done and women were given five things to prioritize. And, you know, what would they take care of first? And the first things that most of us take care of is our children. And then, believe it or not, our pets. I really liked that. And then elderly parents. And then our significant others. And last is ourselves. And we're really not doing what we need to do to take care of our health and to take the best care of ourselves. So that was the first thing. And then again, in the United States, women hesitate to get second opinions. Men don't, men, men are much less hesitant, but we don't, women don't wanna be rude. We've been taught to be social. You wanna play nice after all, the doctor's the professional, those sorts of things. So we really don't wanna question. We feel like we're questioning the doctor's judgment. And so we hold back. And we talk to our doctors differently from how men do. And medical history has not been kind to women's bodies. So all of that, I think, goes into or underlies what some of the behaviors that we do do that maybe do ourselves a disservice. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of cultural and patriarchal conversation in this, isn't there? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes exactly, exactly. Yeah. So why is it that... that that you think that women don't get the medical and health support they deserve? Is it just because they underrate themselves or is there other things that are happening as well, other than put, not putting themselves first? What I'm really curious, like what of all the things that you've found that you ended up writing about? Well, I think the first thing is to be totally fair to the doctors, women get, um, we know a lot less about women's bodies than we do about men's bodies. And there's some structural reasons for that. I mean, nothing to do with, with women as patients. But in the first thing, uh, women are, have been left out of clinical trials for years and years. And it's much better today. But as we're still living with that unfortunate history, it, it plagues us. And there's less research funds given to women's diseases. For example, prostate cancer gets more research money than ovarian cancer or cervical cancer. And those are much more fatal. But nevertheless, they get 
get less funding. There's less women researchers. They get research, women who research get less funds than males, men who research. And we also are published less frequently. So if you're a woman researcher researching a woman's disease, you're gonna find yourself at the bottom of the funding barrel. So I think that's a large part of it. I also think that women, again, in the States, talk to doctors differently from how men do. Men are much more succinct, much more objective, much more technical and to the point. Women describe their, their symptoms in a context, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody. I tell the doctor the whole story. I want him to know how I feel about being ill and how it's really affecting me. And sometimes what happens is that my physical symptoms can get blown away by my emotional ones, and we forget to treat what I came in there for in the first place. So I, in fact, there was another study done, and I loved this one, where student medical students were giving letters written by cancer patients, some of which were women, some of which were men. And over 60% of the time, they could tell which letters were written by women because they were so much more emotive and they were so much more involved in relationships. So I think that's part of it as well. And I yeah. think the fact that we hesitate to get second opinions is, is very serious because I think also what women don't realize is diagnoses are so difficult for a doctor to do. I mean, sure, there's simple ones. If you go in with a broken arm and you tell them that your arm hurts, you know, that's not brain surgery. But if you go in and you say you're tired and you have no energy and you lack appetite, well, there's 20 to 40,000 different diseases out there. And for the doctor to find the right one, it can be like looking for a needle in a haystack. Um, so I think that women need to realize just how difficult a diagnosis can be so that they'll be much more secure about getting that second opinion. And you know what's so interesting too, is any doctor, like all of us, we see what we expect to see. So the same symptoms can be the gastroenterologist will tell you it's a stomach problem, a psychologist will tell you it's stress. So it, it's, it's perceptual bias as well. Yeah. So I think all of those are reasons, particularly the funding reasons um, are, are why women sometimes, in fact, often get the short end of the stick. You know, we're actually misdiagnosed. Well, there's about 12 million Americans that are misdiagnosed each year. And women are misdiagnosed 20 to 30 percent more often than men are. And uh, we get difficult diseases. We get autoimmune diseases a lot, which are very difficult to diagnose. They come and they go, and there's not necessarily a definitive test for them. So it's a tricky business for a doctor as well as for the woman patient. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of um, uh, challenges with women's health as they come through midlife. I think this is actually a really interesting topic. And I want to also talk to you a little bit more about you being 80, which I am you know, you look fantastic, you're bubbly, you're, you know, we're having this great conversation and I'm like, I want to be just like you. But I'm actually going through those real challenges of midlife health right now. And I can personally attest that my own experience to talk to a GP, we call them a GP, general practitioner in New Zealand. So that's right. the doctor, that's right. not the specialist. Um, it's the first port of call that you would go to before you could go anywhere else. You have to go to a GP. And um, so my experience mm -hmm. going to a GP to talk about what I would, I had researched as my own perimenopause symptoms, I found that really challenging to have her, a midlife doctor, believe, <laughs> believe me, 
and what I was going through and to tell me that I needed to go and have a blood test, which is actually not the thing that you need to do for perimenopause. You just need to go, here are all the symptoms. And um, so I found that challenging, which was really unusual. I thought if I went to a woman at the same age who's probably going through the same thing, she would go, oh, yes, absolutely. Or let's rule out some of the other things that could be thyroid problems or, you know, I can appreciate that. So just my own personal experience now, I'm just feeling that there are some challenges moving through midlife for women's health and then put menopause aside you're looking at an increase in heart issues and heart disease and cardiovascular problems so these things actually go massively higher after menopause and a lot of women don't realize that also it's harder to assess a woman having a heart attack than it is a man right so a man would be um, assessed and confirmed as having a heart attack probably like you said 20 to 30 percent better than a woman and right because we respond differently right. we have different responses and symptoms but a woman's um having a heart attack is much harder to diagnose than a man or or it's just that we don't pay attention to it we haven't really looked at the the real science around looking after women's health across the very similar symptoms as we age heart disease cardiovascular disease diabetes those things that that do ramp up as we age what do you think about this? Have you found something similar? Well, personally, no. First of all, I have to tell you, you're, you're going to love this. My mother, <laughs> of all things, never even realized she was in menopause. She all of a sudden, it took about a year, literally, and she thought to herself, gee, I haven't had menstruated in a long time. And she realized that she was in menopause and she never had a single symptom. I had hot flashes for maybe a month or two. I mean, I had some really bad hair days and that was about the extent of it. (laughs) My kids, on the other hand, who are in menopause now, um, have had a much more difficult time than I had. And I'm not really sure why your doctor didn't believe you. I mean, that's fascinating unless your symptoms were so atypical. I mean, you just blew me away when you said that. But cardiovascular disease is really tricky for women, or at least it was. I think it's, again, better today. But it's tricky for a woman, it was tricky for a woman to get that diagnosis. Um, In fact, just, you know, two things I want to say about that for your listeners. One, you have about a four-hour window when you have a heart attack. If you wait and don't call the doctor, you really could do serious damage to your heart muscle. If you think you're having a heart attack, please go to the doctor immediately. And the reason I'm saying that, there was a study done in Canada about with several women who thought they were having a heart attack, but because we take care of ourselves last, they laid there, one woman laid there all night long because she thought her husband, you know, he worked hard during the day and she didn't want to interrupt his sleep and etc. I mean, don't do that. Be rude, be whatever you think you have to be, but call the doctor and don't let them send you home saying that you have a stomach ache. Ask for an electrocardiogram so that you and the doctors really know whether or not a heart attack is occurring. That's, that's really important. But the other thing I think, particularly in, in your menopause case, I would go to a different GP. I'd get a second opinion. I mean, it's, yeah. well, and you know what it is anyway, but if you need to get it, confirmed, I don't know how your health system works, but if you need to get it confirmed to go to a specialist, then get, I mean, that's, that's absurd. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is actually what a lot of such a thing. Oh, but and, this is actually what's happening globally. It's not just in New Zealand. 
issue because I interview women right. from all around the world. And so um, it's a very similar thing around accessing um, healthcare and um, affordable healthcare as well. So, you know, if you go to a specialist, it comes yeah. under private insurance and a lot of people in you know, first world countries don't have that level of insurance. I think it's similar in the US. So it's quite hard to access a specialist unless you're at a certain income level. Um, so I'm just saying from experience, yeah. I, I went through the experience of doing what your average woman in New Zealand would do, which is go to a GP. I knew that I could tap into a specialist because I have them on the podcast and yeah. we have relationships and I knew, I knew yes. what I knew, but I wanted to have the experience of right. what every other woman would probably experience and that's why talking to you now is so valid because it is such a challenge to get the belief have someone believe you and have someone understand actually what it is and help you get what you need whether that be right. support education medical um, intervention whatever you need they would be able to believe you and help oh, you so yeah, yeah. If you're struggling with your menopause symptoms, weight gain, fatigue, joint pain, mood swings, and you're trying to figure out what you need to do to get your mojo back, I've got two professionally endorsed resources that can help you. The Sexy Aging Menopause Management course is an online resource that breaks down all the information on menopause, what it is, what's happening to your body, and how to manage the symptoms through lifestyle hacks. Evidence-based information on movement, nutrition, stress reduction, the importance of sleep, rest and recovery, as well as community and joy. Podcast listeners can access the discount to the course in the show notes. And my Sexy Aging Fitness and Lifestyle app that provides fitness and wellness programming specific to women in the menopause life stage. All the things. Workouts at the gym, workouts at home, short hit workouts, yoga for stress and sleep, specialized mobility, balance, agility, and core workouts, plus nutrition and menopause management tips. There is a free one-week trial, and the link is in the show notes. I've done all the work for you, so your job is to tap into these tools, put the guidance into practice, and feel the difference. I did interview several. There was going to be a chapter on menopause in my book, and it, it got cut out for a bunch of reasons. But it was so hard for me to find women that had had difficulty during menopause. It was the easiest. It, every time I asked somebody, you know, I know everybody said, no, they hadn't had any problems at all. So I switched my whole chapter around. OK, so but here I we mean, go. I, I know that, of course, most women do. We are Gen X. So Gen X women, we are loud and we are angry. <laughs> we are angry that no one has told us about this. And a lot of us are at the peak of our careers and we're going, what the heck is going on? I can't think. I am sweating. I can't sleep. My joints are hurting and I'm only 50-ish. This can't be right. Now, when you said that your mum didn't, remember having any <laughs> symptoms you know there's there's actually quite a, quite a lot that we could unpack here and i think it's around you know sort of aging longevity and food nutrition and toxicity so there's a whole lot of stuff tied up with this isn't there mm -hmm. yeah and your mum would have been one the one in five woman that didn't experience any noticeable yes. symptoms yes. and genetically 
So for you, yes, that's that, there's a genetic, right. um, you know, there's a, a, right. a reason why you might not have experienced it either. But as we go on and the way that we've grown up, so, you know, I um, I, as a child, I was eating really healthily out of my parents' garden. We grew vegetables. I'm living in New Zealand as a child. It's a really healthy environment. Went away, right, spent 20 years in Asia. The food there for me wasn't as healthy as it could be. It probably had quite a lot of pesticides and stuff. I try to eat organic, but you know, you're, you're, that, yeah. then you're, you're battling the flying the food into <laughs> the country and the cost to the climate, all of that stuff, you know, it's a lot to unpack. And I guess over time, your body right. is taking on board um, toxic chemicals, which I believe have some link to the fact that women today might be experiencing uh, more extreme menopause symptoms than than our mums. You know, it's 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 a speculation, but I think if someone was able to do some kind of studies on that, we might see a link between the way my my grandmother and my mum, you know, ate and brought and were brought up and their environment and right. decrease of stress. <laughs> you know, and then stress yes, today yes, is yes. another thing, right? And the stress has such a lot to play around health issues, not just menopause, but health in general. So. Yeah. Did you find that as well? Was, uh, well you was... know, there was a... I'll tell you what I found about stress, but and remind me, because before I go there, there was this, I want to talk about menopause just for one second. I, I'm not an expert on menopause. I'm an expert. I'm an expert on patient behavior, but, but not about menopause. But nevertheless, there was a study done years and years and years ago about menopause symptoms that they're not universal. And you no. think that they would be because it's certainly... I mean, yeah, you're, so you knew that. I mean, women in Korea, I mean, or in, in Japan don't get hot flashes, they get neck aches. And I mean, it goes on and on. So you, I, I was blown, they called it local biologies and they weren't sure, the researchers weren't sure that it was all due to diet, They, which would have been the obvious conclusion. Um, I just, I mean, I loved that, a local biology, it never occurred to me because it's such a universal thing. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about stress just for a sec, because that was one of the, the behaviors that I did find that women have in common. What happens is, and I was fascinated by this because I don't do it. So I was surprised. But when women get ill, they blame themselves. They're convinced it's their fault. They're convinced that it's their stress that is causing their illness. And they think to themselves, well, if I if I, I know I was stressed about such and such, so I'm not going to be stressed about such and such anymore, and then I won't be ill. And so what happens is they see their illness as almost a, a, a public manifestation of their inability to manage their lives, because if they could manage their lives better, they wouldn't get sick. So what the, how that translates is they hesitate to go to the doctor. They don't want to get a second opinion because they're embarrassed because they feel they don't want everybody to know that they could manage their lives. Many of them failed to talk about it with fail to talk about their illness or symptoms with other women because again they don't want people to know that they can't manage that. I mean it goes on and on. We um put together, I, I interviewed most of the women, I found them on the internet and I interviewed them in their homes, but I wanted some geographical diversity. So I put together a couple of focus groups and in both focus groups, very few of the women had ever talked with anybody else other than their doctor about their illness. And that just shocked the hell out of me, frankly. Um, I tell everybody when I don't, 
Yeah. I'll call you the next time I don't feel good. I tell, I tell the whole world. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I feel like that having that support group really helps that with sort of that empathy and mm-hmm. compassion and yeah, just having, knowing that other people out there are experiencing what you're experiencing, but also can suggest, you know, ways through it. Some helpful, some not helpful, right? Right, of course. Yeah. Well, what, what, what really in the focus groups, and I picked, I purposely picked women from different, you know, different states and also with different diseases. But yet they had enough in common, regardless of their particular disease, that they found just what you said, that the support was wonderful. Never occurred to them that they were denying themselves support. They were so busy feeling bad about themselves and blaming themselves that they did themselves a real disservice. And there's a big chapter in the book on that. Yeah. Um, One of the things I want to touch on, uh, it's quite, it's a really valid and important piece of our discussion today is how can women turn their doctor visits into a positive experience like what are the bullet points Sue? tell us <laughs> i will tell you absolutely glad you asked good question yeah. first and i have this memorized because i now do it myself and i didn't know some of this until i did the research go in with a written list of symptoms and not list in your head, written. Because if you're like me, you'll get anxious and you'll forget them. Plus the doctor sees you have a list and that keeps you both on track. But you wanna prioritize your symptoms so that you start with the first one and go down to whatever you do. All right, that's the first thing. Secondly, get the clinical name of your disease so that you can go home and look it up. It's very important. If he says you have a stomach ache, that's not, you can't go home and look up stomach aches. I mean, that you're not going to get anywhere. So if he's thinking of, a, or she is thinking of a particular disease, write down the name of it or have the doctor write down the name of it so it's spelled correctly. And there's a, a but I, I really need to say this at the back of my book, there's a res, big resource list. And I worked very hard on that. And I've done the research for you. So you don't have to go figure out how to look it up. You just have to go to the back of my book and it'll tell you where to look up different diseases. So now you've got your written list, you've got the name of your disease. And then I think it's very important to repeat back to your doctor what you heard the doctor say. I think it was like only 15% of women will tell the doctor when they don't understand something. So that means that almost over 80% of us walk out of the doctor's office, not really knowing what we heard. So you wanna repeat back in your own words. And what that does is it gives you a chance to make sure you heard and understood correctly. It gives the doctor a chance to confirm that yes, you did or to correct anything that, that you misunderstood. That's very important. Then you want, I'm so glad you asked me this question. You want to ask, what else could this possibly be? It would be nice to get a couple of diagnoses because A, you could get a second opinion. It gives you a good excuse, but it also gives you something else to research. And then at the the very last thing I want to say is don't wait until the very last minute when the doctor's just going out the door to bring up a new problem. Many, many of us, not just women, many patients will do that. And the main, the main problem will be brought up as the doctor's exiting the room. And that's not fair. It's not fair to the doctor. It's not fair to you because you're going to get a cursory answer. So I think all of those things are important. And I think that you will find, I hope you will find, that your visit will be much more productive and focused. 
Yeah. Hey, so thank you so much. I hope those, that yeah, those points are fantastic. I know that the listeners will get a lot out of that. There's just absolute clarity with your direction on that. I have one last question for you. So you're 80 and you've written your first book. <laughs> Where to from here? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. Glad, glad you asked that. I've had a real, well, I'm going to, I want to do another book, which I actually have not started yet, but I was struck by the loneliness and the invisibility that the women I interviewed felt oh. when they were ill. Their, their illness almost became them, their self-image. They saw themselves now as a sick person, and, and in fact, some of them were. But I really want to write about mostly invisibility and loneliness, sort of a subset of that. But I've, I've been writing, I've been, it's been so much fun just marketing the book as I get to talk to people like you. And I've been writing opinion pieces for a couple of magazines and I'm very busy exercising. I think that for you, you, you talked about, well, how well I look, but my energy level, that's my exercise. I've exercised for years. Um, I it was diagnosed with osteoporosis like 30, 40 years ago. And of course I panicked. And so I started weightlifting. I did, you know, I do weightlifting and now I do Pilates and weightlifting. Um, and I love it. So I'm busy. <laughs> hey, so you've actually absolutely exercise also, is so crucial. Yeah, you've confirmed one of the areas that I actually that I actually promote. So I'm a um professional fitness trainer in my background, and I've created a an app for women in menopause called sexy aging app and it focuses on resistance training because you know it's so good for all the things your muscle strength density metabolism bone health joint health mental health um so all the things and you are a walking yep. model of someone who has dealt with the problem and continues to work out in your 80s and beyond i want to be just like you sue <laughs> Oh, are you lovely? Well, you know what I've learned too is really when you when you train women, I don't know if you find this because maybe it's cultural, but people said to me, well, you can't lift heavy, can you? You're going to get big muscles. And first of all, I don't have big muscles. And second of all, I love to lift heavy. In fact, I had to stop. I was, I was, well, you can't see me but I'm very small I'm only like four feet ten I weigh a hundred pounds I was I was I was bench pressing like 60 pounds yeah and they told me not to because I have a valve and I had to stop but I'm still doing it but not that heavy you're not supposed to lift over half your weight if you have a leaky heart valve so it kills me though I, I mean I would have kept going up and up and up yeah so are I you mean, doing chin more, ups, and so... it's so good for your bones yeah are you doing chin I, ups? I was I can't have to do certain things I wanted, I was almost there. I have to tell you, I was, I was, well, we have a big machine at the gym and I was, I was, all, I was almost there, but I can't do it because of the heart. I have no symptoms, but they won't let the cardiologist said, I can't lift over half my weight. So that's only 50 pounds. I can't do chin-ups and there's a couple of, I can't do it stuff where my heart rate rises dramatically. It's yeah. a pain in the pain in the ass is really. <laughs> and that as well. Yeah. I love to exercise. Yeah. Well, well um, you know, <laughs> but I love it. Well, you look amazing. I love about and, resistance training. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for your motivation and your a, a true inspiration, Sue. And I wish you all the very best with the continuing well, launch of your book. I'll just thank read you. that out for the listeners one more time. 
you're looking for sidelined how women manage and mismanage their health it's really relevant for even for women of my um decade <laughs> the gen x's we need some help to understand how we can get the most out of um the support from our doctors and from the health system so thank you so much sue oh you're so welcome i had a lovely time thank you Thanks for tuning into this episode and thanks to my guest for the inspo. If you're enjoying this content, then consider following, rating and reviewing so that more people can find the sexy aging life. Peace out.